Coming up on Nurse Talk, will the new makeup of Congress with the House controlled by the Democrats move the Medicare for All bill forward to hearings? CVS buys Aetna for $69 billion. What does this mean to healthcare consumers? Chronically ill, traumatically billed. MS patient billed $123,000 for medicine. This from Kaiser Health News Bill of the Month. All this and more today on Nurse Talk. Welcome to Nurse Talk. I'm Casey Hobbs, one of the thousands of nurses on duty today, along with my co-host and senior correspondent from Healthcare in America, Donna Smith. Donna, all the way from Denver, Colorado, how you doing today? I am doing great, and it's good to be with you, Casey, and my, what a show we have today. But let's take a minute to thank all of our listeners and broadcast partners, including Progressive Voices, Tune in, We Act, the Tom Hartman program, and those listening on iTunes, Stitcher, and of course, nursetalksite.com. Donna, as always, we have a great show today. We have your friend, Ben Day, with us. Ben is the executive director of Healthcare Now, and of course, their mission is fighting to win a national single payer healthcare system. That's right, Casey, and today Ben will shed light on how Healthcare Now's broad coalition of single-payer supporters is mobilizing in more than 300 cities across the country to create systematic change from the bottom up, which of course includes grassroots educating and organizing. And you're going to tell us about the CVS slash Aetna $69 billion marriage. And what a marriage. Yes, I am. And I also have the story on the Kaiser Health News Bill of the Month, which is always interesting. Very serious stuff, Donna. That's why it's time for you to locate the red buzzer on the bottom of your desk and press. Okay. The following content does not necessarily reflect the opinion and points of view of Nurse Talk, its sponsors, or broadcasters. Ingram and you're watching the Ingram Angle. Celebrities in California are whining about some tiny wildfires while our heroic president is under constant attack from rain. But first, let's talk about the rampant voter fraud that allowed Democrats to literally steal the election. Judge, now what specific examples of voter fraud have you uncovered? There was a huge increase in what people call stacking, where multiple children will stack on top of each other <laughs> under a trench coat and then vote as an adult. Some have claimed that suburban women revolted against the Republican Party, but doesn't it feel more true that all Hispanics voted twice? You can't dismiss that idea simply because it isn't true and sounds insane. In fact, let's add that to our list of feel facts. Like, Latinos can have a baby every three months. Santa is Jesus' dad. If the earth is so warm, then why are my feet cold? Blackface is a compliment. If you have less than five guns, you're gay. And is your dog still not baptized? Then order Reverend Whitaker's home dog baptism kit. Because all dogs... Ben Day is no stranger to the national single-payer movement. He currently serves as the executive director of Healthcare Now, and prior to taking on this role, he was an executive director of MassCare, the Massachusetts campaign for single-payer health care for eight years. Ben has published a range of peer-reviewed articles and reports on health care reform, including state health care reform flatlines, why has the press failed us in reporting on health care reform and the Massachusetts model of health reform in practice? Ben, welcome to Nurse Talk. So glad to have you with us today. Oh, thanks for having me on. 
So first, give us a quick overview of Healthcare Now. Sure. Healthcare Now is the, the national advocacy group fighting for a, a Medicare for All system or single-payer health care. Our major allies nationally include uh, the Labor Campaign for Single-Payer, which organizes unions, as well as Physicians for National Health Program, which organizes medical professionals, and we kind of organize everyone else, all the patients who are affected by the, the health care system. Ben, you've already mentioned some of the sponsors of uh, Healthcare Now and who's in the coalition with you, but you want to expand on that a little bit? Tell us more. What brought you together? Yeah, so that's a good question. Um, you know, obviously, uh, National Nurses United is a major ally of ours, uh, Healthcare Now. But in addition to sort of the, the national groups we work with, we have local single-payer chapters and groups in, in most states who are fighting for single-payer healthcare at the national, but also at the state level in some states. Um, healthcare Now actually came together. It was founded by a woman named Marilyn Clements, who had was sort of brought up in the civil rights movement. Um, and it was a, a continuation of a lot of activists who had been involved in sort of the healthcare arm of the civil rights movement. And they helped to found Healthcare Now in the early 2000s to win a, a national health program finally for the United States. And that's kind of where our roots are. Excellent. So talk about the strategic work you'll be doing to support expanded and improved Medicare for All and what you see coming in the next two years. Well, it should be interesting. You know, this movement has really exploded in the last two years during the Trump presidency. I worried and I thought it was possible that, you know, during those two years, everyone would just focus on, like, keeping the, the crummy healthcare system we have, um, since there was certainly a real risk of things getting much, much worse under Trump administration and the GOP Congress, and they have in some ways. But that hasn't been what has happened. People are not just fighting to keep what we have. They're fighting for more and the, just the, the necessity of having a, a healthcare as a human right in this country and how destructive it is for people's everyday lives um, in, in many ways, just lack of access to care and just the incredible financial cost of care when you do get it. So um, things are now changing, you know, uh, with Democrats retaking the House. There's going to be a real fight, I think, for the soul of the Democratic Party. And uh, will Democrats actually push this through the House uh, while they can and sort of set the stage for the next phase, which is where we're going to have to win over the Senate and get a, a president who supports this? I mean, that is not going to be a quiet fight. Uh, we already know that the healthcare industry is investing millions of dollars in trying to get Democratic centrists to oppose this within the House. So it's going to be a real fight on our hands, but that's what grassroots organizations are built for. So we're really going to have to fight for this one. I'm interested if you expect H.R. 676, the Medicare for All bill, that's now being uh, shepherded by Pramila Jayapal, to really move forward to hearings. Will we finally get those in the House, do you think? You know, I'm afraid to make predictions, but that's what we're fighting for, right? I mean, the Democrats, some insane percentage of Democrats nationally support Medicare for All. I think it's approaching 90%, so that's as close to consensus on any issue you will ever find. But Democrats in Congress have been lagging behind uh, the grassroots. About 75% of the population, including, you know, Republicans, independents, and Democrats support Medicare for All. So Congress is, is lagging behind uh, what the country is demanding, which, you know, we're not the only issue where that happens, unfortunately. Um, but, you know, I, I think this is, we're really going to have to force them, put their feet to the fire and say, you know, are you going to stand for this? It's one of these rare issues where you can do the right thing, you can do the moral thing and cover everyone, and it actually costs less. There's not that many issues where you get that easy choice um, from a policy perspective. So, you know, I think we have to demand it, and whether it happens or not will depend on how good of a job we do mobilizing and, and putting pressure on Congress. 
So what is the Medicare buy-in we hear about? Is it a desirable plan? Why or why not? Well, um, you know, some people, and this, again, I, I should explain that sometimes it's called a public option. Sometimes it's called Medicare buy-in. A lot of folks have been using the term Medicare for all to describe this public option, I think, to intentionally create confusion. But a uh, public option is, is not a universal health care system. Uh, basically, it, will, it would allow you to purchase a private health plan from the government instead of a private health plan from, you know, a commercial insurance company. And, you know, there's arguments about whether that would be an improvement or not. You know, I don't think it would be a bad thing. I don't think it would be end of the world. Uh, but it's not going to make a major difference to you. I, I mean, if your problem is that you can't afford health insurance, a public option is not going to bring down the cost of health plan so much that suddenly it's going to be affordable to you. Um, if you have co-payments and deductibles that in your existing plan that right now even getting the care you need is hard, having a, another health plan competing in the market is not going to make a, a, a big difference to that. So it's not the kind of change we need. And crucially, it doesn't control costs at the same time that extends coverage to everyone. So folks, I think, need to be wary about and kind of educate themselves and the folks around them that uh, this is not the same thing. When you talk about a Medicare buy-in, you're just talking about one more thing you can purchase, an insurance product that's not going to be adequate for your needs. And that is totally different from Medicare for All, which means everyone gets comprehensive coverage as a right uh, from the first day you're born until the last day uh, before you pass away. And who do you think's talking about that? Is that Republicans <laughs> trying to delude the whole conversation of moving forward with single payer? I think it's, it's more, uh, there's a certain wing of the Democratic Party that doesn't want to alienate the healthcare industry, doesn't want to run up against them. And there's the Center for American Progress is probably going to be leading a lot of this stuff. Um, so there's a collection of national think tanks and uh, leaders in Congress who are sort of trying to pilot a, a course to do something small and moderate that looks like they're addressing the healthcare crisis, but that is not really going to have a significant impact in providing relief to the people who are really being impacted. So, Ben, what can we do to really move this movement when Trump and his minions seem intent on killing the ACA Obamacare even and even damaging the Medicaid expansion? Do we ignore that, or what do we do to, to fight that? Well, you know, I think the last two years were a pretty good example where um, you can do both. You can defend what we have uh, while trying to advocate for what we need and what we deserve. There was a very successful national movement to oppose repeal of the Affordable Care Act, which would have been a, a real disaster for people's lives. And it was successful. Um, but at the same time, you know, when people were showing up to these town hall meetings, shutting down their members of Congress, they weren't saying, you know, I, I just want to keep my ACA plan. They were saying, you have to fight for uh, Medicare for all, for a, a universal health care system. And this happened across the country. Um, so I think we can continue to do that, but we need to do it in targeted districts um, and in sort of smart ways. And there just has to be kind of an uprising. So unfortunately, we're never going to have enough money to pay for a national campaign that's going to out-organize the healthcare industry. I mean, they just have endless amounts of money. So we have to do this uh, the grassroots way. So do you see states like California moving forward on their own legislation? And what chances do you think the states have in passing a single-payer system? You know, this is the way Canada got a universal health care system. One province passed it first, um, others followed, and then eventually there was a national bill. Um, and I think that's a real possibility in the United States as well. 
it is not easy to win at the state level either. It's it's still a huge fight for for California, as you know, out there. Um, but there are some battlegrounds where we have real openings now. Um, New York is an interesting one to talk about. You know, the New York Assembly, their their House, has passed a single-payer bill three years in a row now by huge majorities, two-third majorities. The governor, Cuomo, has expressed supportiveness for the, the Medicare for All bill in New York. And they for years, they had just been a couple of votes short in the Senate, and they just won those votes through the election. Uh, they replaced about five or six Republicans with Democrats who support Medicare for All. So they should now have majorities in the Senate, in the House, and in the governor's office. But as you know, that's where things get really difficult. Um, that The last step is absolutely the hardest one, but I think we really need to work on both the state and the national levels and keep an eye on the states that have a chance at a breakthrough. I agree. And here in California, the thing that stopped it the last time we had a bill through was a Democrat. So you're right. We really yep. have to watch the Democrats <laughs> and hold their feet to the fire. Yes. The whole medical area in Boston was in the same district. So for them, you know, their their whole district is is hospitals and health centers. And so they are um, very responsive and used to working closely with those industry ties. So, Yeah. Ben, thank you for the good work you're doing. And how can people find out more about healthcare now and, and the best way to get involved? So you can go to our website, healthcare-now.org. That's healthcarenow.org. Um, we have an easy sign-up form. You can sign up for our emails. And we are very focused on organizing an action. So you will, almost immediately after signing up, be given some opportunities to get involved with organizing and um, working with other folks and to pressure your legislators to advance this movement. Excellent. Anything else you'd like to share with our listeners? No, no. I'm, I'm so excited to be involved with you all. And, uh, you know, nurses are really at the forefront of this fight. So I'm, I'm excited to talk with you all about this. That's great. Thanks so much. And we've been talking with Executive Director of Healthcare Now, Ben Day. For more information about this topic, visit healthcare-now.org. And thank you so much, Ben, for being with us. Thank you. My pleasure. Coming up, more on the CVS Aetna wedding and the Kaiser Bill of the Month. You're listening to Nurse Talk Radio on Progressive Voices TuneIn and all of our broadcast partners. You're listening to Nurse Talk, where laughter's the best medicine. Why should you care? You have health insurance, right? Ever heard of rescission? That's when the insurance company finds an excuse to cancel your policy because you had the nerve to actually get sick. Really sick, like with cancer, or diabetes, or heart disease. It happens every day, and it could happen to you. No one should be able to cancel your health insurance. Join the California One Care campaign and help us fight for your right to good health no matter what. California One Care. Full care for all for life. Senator Bernie Sanders recently said that the fight for universal and comprehensive health care is the civil rights battle of our time. He's right. This is an historic battle of the will of the people against the most powerful special interests in the nation. Many polls have shown that we, the people, favor a single-payer plan two to one. But we need your help to win this fight. Go to CaliforniaOneCare.org and sign up now. We are a company approaching 200 million in sales. We have 160 employees in the United States in various locations. And what we have seen is that healthcare has been a runaway cost. 
this cost is about 18% of our economy, of our gross domestic product. It detracts from our ability to hire employees and retain employees, and it is a disincentive for us to grow our businesses in the United States. So that's a really serious problem. And we're competing with other economies other modern industrialized countries, Western European countries, Canada, that have health care costs, half of ours. Uh, you know, we were up in Canada, and it certainly doesn't get in the way there. We met a lot of conservative business people who embrace their single-payer model. So throughout the country, we're seeing this initiative for single-payer emerge as a moral standpoint. There are going to be more and more people, especially in the age group of 50 and over, who, because age rating is allowed with premiums, be either unable to afford to cover themselves with insurance, or they will purchase the insurance and be unable to use it because they won't be able to afford the co-pays, the deductibles, and the out-of-pocket expenses. Healthcare is a human right. It's not something that ought to be bartered like a commodity. And we're going to have to be very vigilant about trying to help one another and trying to advocate as strongly as we possibly can to get this change before we end up sending more people into ill health or, sadly, watching more people die because they can't access basic health care. Most of bankruptcies are a result of health insurance, people having health insurance and being penniless after one catastrophic event. We can't sustain this kind of system anymore, and we're not so inhumane as we want people to suffer without care, because unless we do some serious change right now, that's the direction we're heading in. The reality is we're going to have to fight to move forward, to move towards that day when we really provide universal health care to everyone. We believe that health care is the right for everyone. We're holding the line on our benefits, and we're holding the line for the other health care workers here. We're holding the line for our patients. We're holding the line for the nurses all over the country. We all deserve proper health care. This is what we deserve as citizens of America. All of these corporations, they're trying to take advantage of the economy. They're using that as the excuse. Ooh, it's so damn cold in here. Uh, yeah, the producer's having hot flashes. I'm not the one with the buttons, for Christ's sakes. Shane, I think you have sinusitis. Casey, you cannot diagnose, treat, or prescribe. Ugh, the bane of my existence, but you can as an NP, so what's the matter with me? Verbal diarrhea. Oh! Give me a second opinion. You talk too much. Oh, my <laughs> goodness. We cannot prescribe, diagnose, or treat, but Shane can, and it always hurts. <laughs> Welcome back to Nurse Talk. I'm Casey Hobbs, along with my co-host, Donna Smith. That music can only mean one thing. It's my turn to talk. That's right, Donna. You have a wedding to tell us about, and a mighty expensive one at that. I do. Can you believe it? I cannot. That our friends at CVS Health, you know, the drugstore, and Aetna have sealed a big deal to uh, merge themselves. 69 
billion. Wow. It's staggering. And they want us to believe that these two companies working together are going to figure out all the problems that we have in our healthcare system. They're going to streamline things and be able to provide services to we patients at a much cheaper rate than they might have before. And I have to say, if you believe all of this from Aetna and CVS, I might have some swampland somewhere to sell you. CVS says, you know, and I have my own experiences with Aetna, as I know many patients and many nurses do as well. Aetna does not exactly have a great track record for being uh, patient-friendly, in my mind anyway. So here we have CVS and Aetna going to work together, and one of the things I heard was that it'll be so much better for them when patients go into one of their um, clinics or one of their freestanding clinics, and they find that the care they get can be uh, chronically ill patients, the costs will be way down because they can go in and pharmacists can assess, you know, what it is they need right now. And I thought, whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah. The pharmacists are going to assess what we need. And what about your showing up for this freestanding clinic? Are they then going to market Aetna insurance coverage to you? Are you going to be then really pushed to be a part of their whole system? Or you're not going to be able to get the nice prices on the medications and so forth? And the worry, I think, for patients to be even beyond that is that patients will not be able to take their prescriptions anywhere else but CVS in order to get those filled. I don't know why the Justice Department really changed its its tune on this. You know, originally they had regulators and enforcers from all over the country who were really objecting to this particular deal, saying that they were very concerned about exactly the issue raised. Having a monopoly in our health care coverage is not a good thing. This is nowhere near, you know, people will say, isn't that what you're talking about with a single-payer type system? And the answer is no, of course not. That's not a monopoly on where you get your products from or your care or anything else. It's not the at all the same thing as a for-profit insurance company and a for-profit a drug sales company to be working together. What do you suppose uh, if their if their individual mission is to make money for their shareholders? What will their joint mission be? Okay, Donna. So why do you think CVS is doing this? What market share are they going after? Why are these two connecting? Well, I think their market share would allow them to tackle. You know, they they say they're going to be able to look at the social determinants of care and be able to have an impact on that. Now, I would guess what they're saying by that and chronically ill patients is whether or not people are uh, taking care of their health in the best way they possibly can to be integrated in their care. And they're going after the entire market of providers, you know, their your primary care provider market and really having that. And once you have that kind of market secured of those people who are chronically ill, there is big money in that market, big, big money in that market. So it worries me a great deal as a patient who handles uh, chronic problems like asthma, like issues with blood pressure and so forth. What kind of care would I be getting if I stepped into that system? And I think I won't. (laughs) I think I'll just stay right on out of that. Definitely not. Okay, now let's hear about Kaiser Health News Bill of the Month. Ah, yes. 
my gosh. Now, this is one, this story is one that it just boggles my mind. You know, the, the title of the story, the written story, was Chronically Ill, Traumatically Build, which I thought was a terrific title. But it was about a young mother, mother with MS, uh, with a young son, a single mom, who doesn't isn't able to work because she's seriously ill with MS. And here she is getting care at the Cleveland Clinic. She chooses a new medication that she believes is going to help her and her doctor believes is going to help her. She takes two doses of this medication that needs to be uh, infused. It's not something you just take by mouth. You have to have it infused. And lo and behold, she gets an enormous bill, $123,000 for two doses of this medication. And it's just mind-boggling. You you then find out that because of the contract that Medicare has with this managed care plan to make sure that uh, they're getting a good deal. The discounted price for Medicare was a mere $28,960, leaving this young mom with $3,600 out of pocket calculated as her payment. How does a young mom who doesn't work with, and she has MS, how is she supposed to pay $3,600? Then they say, oh, yeah, those special deals, they're off. And now you need to pay for it now that you've learned it's effective. Why don't you start a GoFundMe page? Outrageous. Yeah, it is outrageous. You know, as a patient, too, I just, my heart breaks for this woman. I mean, and for all of us who face these kinds of decisions to find out that a medication is helping you more than what you were doing before, perhaps even making your life a lot more manageable so you can be more engaged in your child's life, in your community, and all the things that we want out of life. And then you get this eye-popping bill in the mail, and you figure out, guess what? That medication that's helping me so much, I won't be able to take it anymore. I'm going to go back to bed because I won't be able to do the things that I want to do. What a horrible thing to do to human beings. What a terrible thing to do. Not only make them suffer, to put so much money into R&D, which is just a bunch of hooey. It is. Everybody needs to know, they need to understand that the majority of money spent on research and development doesn't come from the private corporations. No, it it comes from you and me mm-hmm. and the government funding research and development through our universities, through our teaching hospitals, through all the places where our tax dollars go to help with those kinds of things. So I get, it just makes my blood boil. When I think about pharmaceutical companies saying, oh, we have to put so much into research and development, that's why we have to charge these costs. That is just not true. So Donna, I want to switch gears a little bit uh, because I want to end on a more positive note. And I'd like you to say something that you're grateful for. All those things we are grateful for. Absolutely. I, you know, this week in particular, I, I think um, I'm extremely grateful that I know around me in my community are people that really do care deeply about their community and about their country. Right at the moment with with Trump and the White House and all the stuff going on, it can be very, very difficult to feel positive about what's going on in our country. And yet, it seems like every single day, I see somebody do something kind for me or for someone else. And in particular, I guess I would mention that 
Um, I I take uh, some swimming classes with other people who are chronically ill, and who we go to a a, a special swimming uh, class. The teacher, by the way, is eighty three years old. That's great. And uh, I am very very grateful, very grateful for the public parks and rec system that does put in place some some things for those of us who aren't super healthy, so that we can be deeply engaged in our community. And I love being in the pool. So that's something I'm very grateful for today. And for me, the gratefulness is about just the small things, like you were saying, that I see every day, the small kindnesses. So when a stranger in a store genuinely seems to care and ask you how you're doing or tells you that they hope you have a good day, I can remember that when I was going through chemo and I was bald and I was in a Target store, Uh, shopping and I had a hat on and a woman I didn't know came up to me and looked me in the eye and said I hope you have a very healthful future and it was so nice Mm. it was nice a small acknowledgement and then she walked on and it really meant a lot to me that somebody saw that saw my suffering and addressed it it was those are the small things that I really appreciate that's uh, you know and we get those reinforcements daily if we look for them it's, and we, I think we have to keep remembering that, especially in our country right now, is that there are more of us who care about one another and care about how our communities are and how decent we are to one another than there are people like Donald Trump and the people who admire his, his kind of vitriol. So I am so glad, Casey, that people have been kind to you. And, and I think the other thing that I'm, I'm always grateful for, and I know it sounds trite when we're on a, a nurse talk radio, but I am extremely grateful for nurses. And Casey, to you, thank you for being a nurse and for the care that you put forward in the world. I know that your patients appreciate it, and I know I appreciate it. Well, and the beauty of my job, as I always say, is it feeds my soul. So I end up getting more out of my job than sometimes the people I care for do. Thank you. And that's it for today, Nurse Talk listeners. Thanks for being with us. And thank you to our executive producer, Patty Lockard. Sound design and engineering by June Miller and JMC Sound. Taylor Lockard does our research. And thank you all so much.